1: We spell it with a K. So, you, Take it easy. Welcome to another episode of the Front Row Material Brand. My name is Mike Freeland. I'm so excited because uh, I always get to do these sit-down interviews with wrestling stars and I always find the most interesting things with every single interview that I do, whether it's something about them personally, about their journey in the world of wrestling. Tonight, we're going to sit down with Jay Christ, who, if you're not familiar with him, you should seriously uh, check out your wrestling fandom, because this man has done literally everything. He's been a booker. He's been an agenting. He's worked with Rockstar Pro. He's been a champion in so many different companies, uh, specifically with Impact Wrestling. He's had an amazing career all over. He's done deathmatch wrestling as well. This man has revolutionized in so many ways the way the Midwest sees wrestling right now. Um, I've had the privilege to watch several of his matches and just really see his passion and how much he loves this industry. He's somebody who gives back as as well. So he's not just somebody who's out there in front of the camera. He also, you know, toodles other wrestlers and talks to them and pulls them back and and really does a lot for the industry. And it's so exciting to talk to people like that who give back to the business. So we also have something in common. He's an Ohio guy. So am I. Uh, We also have a few friends along the way. You know, that whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, we got that going on, too. So without any further ado, Jake, how you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing wonderful. What a great introduction. Wow. That was,
1: that was amazing. Well, I tell you what, I am so honored being a podcaster. You know, this is about as close as I get to actually being in the wrestling industry. And I think getting to talk to the wrestlers and hear what they have to say, their journeys, their experiences, their moments, it, it almost is a, like you can live vicariously. And you had such a stellar career so far, and you're still going strong and you have such a great following. So let me kind of ask you this question. This is usually my first one. Why in the world did you decide, hey, you know what? When I grow up, I'm going to do wrestling.
0: I think I just, you know, fell in love with it just like any other, uh, child, uh, growing up in the mid eighties. Uh, I was born in 84, so, uh, kind of dated myself there, didn't I? <laughs> but, um, yeah, just growing up and then, you know, uh, early nineties, the mid nineties and then, uh, the attitude era was just amazing. Uh, falling in love with guys like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, um, and you know, even even earlier than that, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. I was a Hogan kid. I'm not gonna lie. I loved I love Hulk Hogan. That's that's what got me into uh, to wrestling when I saw him uh, body slam Andre the Giant. It was it was a big shock. And then I seen the Macho Man, and it was just complete over because I was just
1: infatuated with the Macho <laughs> Man. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> Thanks. So, growing up and being a wrestling fan, can you tell me about the first memory of a, of a live event? And uh...
0: Uh, um, my my first memory was ECW Heat Wave uh, ninety eight in the Hair Arena that in was... Dayton,
1: Ohio. Oh my, what a way to break into live events! <laughs>
0: that was just it, me and me and my buddy uh, Kenny. We called him Skinny Kenny. Uh, we were wearing our psychopathic records, uh, Letterman jackets, and uh, Sandman came by, threw a bunch of beer on us, and we were, we were hooked ever since.
1: Yeah, there's something really interesting about the nineties as far as wrestling fans go, because it was kind of phasing out of the real gimmicky kind of thing and it became very real, right? And it became a lot more raw. Now, looking back at both of those type of styles, what were you more a fan of or would you say, eh, I kind of appealed to both?
0: I was I was in love with guys like R V D and Jerry Lynn. From uh, ECW, Super Crazy and Tajiri had amazing matches, and and Rhino. Uh, those those guys were all my favorites uh, from ECW. Now, guys like the Sandman, I never really, um, never really enjoyed, you know, as much just because I felt like he, you know, he he was kind of one of those guys that looked like he was a fan that should be, you know, that shouldn't be in the ring, but he could still do some cool shit. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, uh, I just, I like the guys that can go in the ring. Uh, then when I, you know, picked up training and stuff, I, you know, uh, studied guys uh, like Eddie Guerrero, and you know, uh, Dean Malenko, Jamie Noble, well, Jamie Noble was great.
1: And that's a really cool thing about ECW was because I feel like, and I think you'd agree with this, they were very underrated, meaning it was a lot of, you know, it, they got really Late air times. I mean, obviously, being in Ohio, it's probably. I was sitting in my mom's kitchen, UFH, and you know, VAFH, trying to tune it into a green-screened uh, old TV. But yep. there's there's so many people who who really paved the way for wrestling and became huge names after they left ECW. So, do you have a favorite ECW match or moment or anything <laughs> like that from your fanhood?
0: um uh, rvd jerry lynn their their classic uh L- living dangerously was amazing match and then you know obviously hardcore heaven was uh just two amazing matches uh i, I put those i i still watch those matches today and they still hold up to the style that's that good that that you see today it's it's pretty crazy
1: yeah it's unbelievable to, what uh to, the to mixture take- they had
0: yeah, to think about like what was that like what twenty twenty five years ago? Yeah, maybe maybe a little longer. Oh man, but yeah, I, uh, I those those matches still hold up. I I uh, throw those on, and it's like you can you can still those guys can still go with anybody today. It's so ta- awesome.
1: I was talking to Jerry a couple of days ago, and, and Jerry was telling me he said, you know. I spent just as much time on the trainer's table now as a uh, as a producer as I did when I was in the ring. <laughs> My God, he said all the crazy stuff. He goes, in the moment, it is fantastic. But 30 years later, he goes, sometimes you wish you wouldn't have taken that high spot. But it just, the moments, I mean, you know this being in the ring. Talk about when we talk about some t- things being in the ring, the injuries and whatnot, but just you're running on this high because none of us will really know what that feels like, but what's that like when you're in there and you have the crowd in your hand,
0: man, it, it it's like, you, you can't really put, put it into words. It's, it's something that you strive for. You've learned to try to craft. You, you master your craft to, to try to uh, do things like that. Now, now that it happens, it's, 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 once you feel that the first time it's, you can't describe that feeling. It's not like any kind of drug or any kind of, you know, any, anything like that. It's, it's nothing you can really, I can't put my finger on it. Like I can't put it into words. It's, it's special. And if, um, if guys actually master the craft and be able to, to do things like that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't put things like that into words. It's, it's, Special is not even the right word for it. You know what I mean. So it's just, it's really hard to try to describe that feeling. It's 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 like no other feeling on earth.
1: I've been to many concerts, you know, and and I've seen Kiss and ACDC, Metallica, Aerosmith, and you know what you guys do. I can't. I, I can understand what you mean by not being able to put it into words because it's such a euphoric high that you you really have a hard time finding adjectives because it is so exhilarating and so fulfilling. And at the same time, um, I think that's, that's the big drug that keeps people coming back.
0: Yeah. Like high isn't even the word that, you know, like they can describe it. I I can't, you know, like I I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it on any kind of high or anything like that. It's, It's special. It's, it's something unique. If you're able to, it, it's lightning in a bottle. If you're able to catch it, catch it, actually, really catch that lightning in a bottle, it's it's something special. It's it's something that you want to hold on to for the rest of your career, and that and that's what most guys do. Like, why do you think uh, guys don't change their gimmicks very often? They they catch that lightning in the bottle. They want to hold on to it forever.
1: Oh, we'll milk until it, till it Look, runs dry too.
0: You know, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, you know all those guys. Like, there's still, you know, there's still rumors of them guys coming back to wrestle. I mean, and to each their own. But like, you know, it's that's what I'm talking about, though. It's it's that you something. It's you just can't describe. It's that special.
1: So you're growing up and you're loving wrestling. You're watching ECW. You go to the Hair Arena. At what point in time was it, or or maybe it was just kind of a culmination when you said to yourself, "I could see myself doing this," or was it somebody said something to you like, "Man, you're such, you're such in, you're so into this, you should do this"? How did that process started happening as far as in your mind thinking about? Those, those were,
0: those were the colorful characters like Macho Man, Hogan, Million Dollar Man, the Rockers uh demolition like goes those, those colorful characters of the WW you know like you can't you gotta get the F out, you know, you, you can't say it. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that's a little joke here. Yeah, that was me bleeping myself. I noticed that.
1: But yep. anyway
0: <laughs> anyways uh being you know growing up um in in the early nineties uh being that system I just saw those colorful characters. I, I, I looked up at my dad at five years old and I said, I want to do this. And luckily uh, I had a cool dad and was like, yeah, you, you sure can buddy. You know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I, he probably thought I was
1: bullshitting him, <laughs> but, but you weren't, you followed through with I. it.
0: Right. Right.
1: So how did you end up finding a, a school to train at? How did that process go? And then how did you end up with, uh, with HWA?
0: That is a long, crazy road. Um, whew, all right. So uh, started out like normal kids do backyard wrestling. Um, that grew into something huge. Um there was a few backyard like little like kids like getting, like in different areas of uh of uh New Carlisle, Ohio, where I grew up um so like we had our little uh thing in like the New Carlisle area and like the little uh like woods it was in a barn these these other kids were uh having their shows. So, uh, we got kicked out of like every single backyard that we had. So was like every single kid that was on our roster. We had a show there. Only one show got kicked out. We went to every park in new Carlisle. We got kicked out. And then, uh, luckily, uh, you know, uh, word, uh, word, uh, passing word through school. Uh, we found out about these uh, kids wrestling in a barn it ended up being a uh, kid named Dustin Ray's and, um, ended up becoming really good friends with him. Uh, we ended up just showing up in the middle of their show, true bark backyard, uh, fashion. Uh, they were cool enough to let us, uh, wrestle each other. And then afterwards, uh, we kicked it and it was awesome. Um, then that grew from like just like, um, little crappy string ropes on like this little area of like, um, where you'd feed the, like the hogs or the pigs, you know, like the pig pen. So like we'd wrestle like in the pig pen, like cover it with, uh, um, um, tarps and stuff and had like, kind of just like little, little crappy little ropes. And we would jump off, um, like the fence area the, That's how we would have our top rope um, But um, Then we all saved our lunch money together uh, When we got into high school And uh, we we Built our own ring and welding class Because we went to a <laughs> I, I shit you not It was called Outlaw Championship Wrestling In Yellow Springs, Ohio We went to their show Begged them to Tear down their ring And you know like most uh, independent wrestlers, they're like, yeah, let these let these marks tear this ring down. But we are tearing the ring down, but we're, you know, writing the blueprints down.
1: You were reverse engineering at this point. Holy crap.
0: So, like, we we took those blueprints and we, we put all our money together. We uh, built our own ring in welding class, put it in Dustin Ray's uh, barn, and uh, my cousin was like, a big like he was, we didn't even know, but he was like our big promoter at the time. And uh, he started uh, putting a bunch of stuff uh, out on like, again, I'm dating myself, uh, chat rooms. Yeah. Uh, so he'd, he'd throw all our stuff on chat rooms and uh, New Center 7 uh, and Dayton picked up the story because they were doing backyard wrestling and they asked if uh, we'd love to be a part of the story. We said, yeah. They came in and like, saw how professional it was because we had smoke machines. We had uh, uh, an actual, actual entranceway. We had like uh, 200 people there in this little bar. Uh, it was insane. Like, it, was, it was awesome. Um, uh, we had our own merch. Like we, we charged like two or three bucks to get in because we, we would always tear up our tarps with our hardcore wrestling matches being ECW kids. Uh, but uh, they came in and actually put us over, and uh, um, our announcer, his name was Derek Stiles. <laughs> Derek Stiles is up in the chicken coop doing the commentary yep. for us. Um, his mom was uh, at a church, and after the service, uh, you know, like most church, the the groups get together. And uh, she, this this guy goes. Man, I saw this uh, special in the news about these kids in New Carlisle in wrestling. I really wish uh, I knew how to get a hold of them. I, they, they have such raw potential. Um, she goes, my son's best friends with those kids. I could put you in touch with those those kids, and she put us in touch with them. He came, uh, watched us uh, do. We did like a match of peace for him. And he goes, um, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, his name is Bill Kovaleski. He goes, uh, I'll train you guys for free if you uh, wrestle for me for free for two years. So oh, we wow. said, "So where do we sign up? I started when I was uh, uh, 15 years old.
1: Hold on. Pause in the story. Pause Start, in the story. Started training at 15. All of this is happening. At before uh, at 15 years old, I mean, yeah. creating these rings, getting the merch, doing all these things, working really hard with all this, making the ring and welding class. I mean, did you feel like, man, we're really starting to get some traction because that's a lot of work for kids as young as you were.
0: You know, it didn't even seem like work. We were just all striving and working together to to wrestle because uh, that, that's what we thought uh what wrestling was we didn't know what like we, we knew what independent wrestling was but we really didn't know no like we just thought like backyard wrestling and then we'll get to ocw and then we'll get to wWF eventually uh but that that's exactly kind of how the mindset worked at like 14 15 years old because I, I was doing I was getting all that ring and stuff together at uh 14 I was yeah, I was, uh, I was 15 when I started training with Bill. Bill was trained in the Monster Factory by Bobby and Charlie Fulton. And uh, oh, wow. uh, he actually never got his, uh, his show off the ground. Uh, so he trained us for free for two years in this barn. I was 17 when I had my first show for Big Jim Hutchinson in Pickwell, Ohio. The pick with fishing games uh it was an outdoor event and uh it, the the locker room smelt like catfish because you literally you <laughs> pulled the fish out of the lake you came and you cleaned it and they cooked it for you right there and that's where we changed right there was our locker room
1: goodness gracious so and you spent I ate fish really ate- you're not you're not a fish guy yeah Oh, so can I assume you don't you don't fish for sport either then, huh? No,
0: no. I no. Well, I mean, like I'll I'll go hang out with uh, some fellas, you know, and maybe throw a pole in there. But I mean, I I'll catch and release. But it's yes. even that is this, you know, it's pretty nasty and uh, gross.
1: <laughs> so you're you're doing all this stuff. You you're 15 years old, as we said before. You train for two years you're 17 years old now at this point in time, do you feel like you've really kind of come into yourself? Like how much do you feel like you grew from the time when you started training at 15 with him all the way to 17? Or do you feel like, you know what? I still would have gotten to this point even had I not met him.
0: No, no, absolutely. That definitely fast tracked it, but uh, I was, I was still a junior in high school, you know, like uh, doing independent shows. Uh, so I, was, uh, I, I ran around for a year just locally independent. My third independent show for Outlaw Championship Wrestling, the the company we got the blueprints of the ring from, uh, I, I ended up winning their light heavyweight championship. was my first ever belt I ever won. I thought it was the coolest thing because it was a red strap. And I, I I walked around high school with it the next day, thinking I was the coolest
1: guy. <laughs> <laughs> was there a lot of people in uh, your inner circles you ran with in high school that were wrestling fans as well, or was that more of a, a niche type of thing?
0: That we we were all just Juggalo wrestling kids. <laughs> that's that's who we ran around, and there was probably like good 2025 of us in this little town in new Carlisle because it's a tiny, tiny town. Um, but like we were the outcasts of the kids. We had our own little, you know, uh, you know, group that no one was like, ah, leave those wrestling juggalo kids alone. Cause they, we had our, like, you know, then the handheld video cameras were really big. So like we, we, uh, put all our backyard wrestling stuff on uh, video and like compilation and we would just pass around school just, just to be like, you know, those are kids, those are kids. Not, don't fuck with those kids over there. <laughs> so wow. They had nothing to mess with.
1: Outside of move sets, what was something that you originally taught during that very first two year training session? Was there anything that you, you took away and you said, man, that really makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm really glad that I got that kind of wisdom mm-hmm. at that time
0: hitting the, just taking bumps, learning how to bump properly. Cause I mean, uh, backyard wrestling for three or four years, you didn't, I didn't know how to protect my head or anything like that, or not put my elbows or arms down. So, uh, that was like right off the bat that hitting the ropes cause I hit the ropes wrong. I hit them off the left side of the right. Uh, uh, but, like, another thing that I took big that I still remember today to this day, not only the collar and elbow, uh, tie up, but the, uh, drop toe hold, the way he, uh, taught us a drop toe hold was just mind blowing to me and awesome. So like Bill, Bill was awesome in the sense of like after he got done with his lesson, uh, he would, he would let one of us, uh, pick out like a move and he would teach us how to do it like I remember being the first cuz I was like uh, I was the star of the class. I was I was the the guy that I was I was duck to water. And um, he uh, goes all right uh, all right John, you know what do you what do you want to uh, learn today? and I go missile drop kick off the top
1: rope.
0: <laughs> and he goes, "All right, well, you taught me how to like do a drop kick stand." And he goes, "All right, we'll get up there and do it." So I all balls jump jump out go for the drop kick and just eat shit knock the wind out of out of me and i was never doing that again never did it again
1: oh my gosh during those early years did you ever sustain any really bad injuries or was it just Bumps, bruises, contusions here and there.
0: Yeah, bumps. Like I remember after the first uh, practice, waking up uh, to go to school the next day, and actually having to crawl out of bed and get my ICP jersey on. Wow! Dust it off
1: and go. Oh my god! So, what was your your parents' sentiments on this? I mean, obviously they allowed you to go ahead and do this wrestling. Was there ever any fear, or did they ever say, you know what? You know, you'd take it easy out there, or did they just say, you know what, this is what you love to do? Some kids like to play basketball, or some kids like to play lacrosse, or whatever, this is your thing? Or was there any trepidation?
0: No, they they actually were really uh, supportive. They Actually, they didn't give a shit. They didn't care, like, <laughs> there was five boys. You know, I'm one of five, so like they didn't care what we did. Like, uh, as, as far as, just as long as we didn't hurt nobody. Right. We didn't get in, like, really, really too like too much trouble, and we had to go to school. Because if right. we didn't go to school, they would get in trouble, and if they got in trouble, we'd get that ass whipped. Yeah. You know, that was just straight up how it was uh, growing up uh, there. But we, uh, we were in by 9 o'clock anyways because, you know, Monday Night Raw was on. That's right. Well, I mean, actually eight o'clock because, um, uh, Nitro started, Nitro an, hour, started an hour early. An hour early. Yep. So we were in a, at by eight o'clock cause we were, we were WCW. I was a WCW kid. I was straight up a WCW kid. Uh, and then like, I, w- I only would flip it over, uh, on commercials. I'd flip it to, uh, WWF raw is
1: war. Yep. You
0: know, uh, every time, uh, uh, because the cruiserweights were were my were my jam in WCW. I love those guys.
1: Oh, I mean, with Juventud Guerrero and obviously uh, Mister JL, and the, you'd have Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. I mean, those guys could go, and you know, even it's Jer- funny. Jericho. Jericho could go as well. Yeah. Absolutely, so many talented people. Rey Mysterio. Um, I still am blown away by the things that when I watch it back now that he was doing. I mean, just, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned starting to wrestling really early because down in Mexico, we've talked to so many different people in Mexico. I mean, it's a family thing where these kids literally start training 10, 11, 12 years yeah. old start getting it into their blood. So you were, uh, you were right on par with some of those wrestling families down there. I was
0: 15, man. When I started, it was, it started taking my first bumps, like proper first bumps.
1: So. When when you say proper bump, so educate the average fan. You may have to like make it simplistic for us to understand. But we think of a bump as obviously just a very uh, in a generic sense of explaining of falling, but falling correctly. Mm-hmm. So how would you explain it to a non? person in the industry how do you fall properly
0: are you are just protecting you know your your vital or your brain your head you know you don't want to smack your elbows you don't want to uh like you uh, don't want to put down your uh hands if you put down your hands you can break your wrist or break an arm or anything like that so you just want to learn how to uh fall properly protect your head uh, properly, especially with all the concussions and we know what, what's, uh, the head trauma going on, uh, these days. So you definitely want to, uh, protect your noodle because when I was coming up, we didn't protect our noodle as much as uh, we should, uh, these days as we were doing unsafe chair shots and probably shaved, you know, years and years off of, uh, off of uh, all of those guys' career, think about like the old EC or uh, old CZW guys. You know, like the, those guys were just insane with the death matches. You know, and then death matches is like a huge. You know, been on a huge rise the last, you know, probably five or six years again. You know, too. So, all my hats off to all of those dudes.
1: So you're 17 years old. You get done with the two year training. Was there any concept of hey maybe i want to go to college or was there anything about maybe something else you wanted to do or was it like hey you know what let's just keep this train rolling
0: that's that's uh let's keep this train rolling i i wish i would have had enough sense to uh, go to college i actually had a uh, full ride scholarship to play baseball for the wittenberg tigers in springfield and i passed it up to you know do this Wish wow. I would have uh, took that up, but yeah, I was, I was, a uh, was a damn fine athlete. Damn let's, talk, fine.
1: Let, let's talk a little bit about baseball here for a second. So tell me a little bit about you as a baseball player. What position did you end up playing?
0: I was, I was a second baseman and then, uh, all outfield. Nice. Yeah. I, I, uh, was, uh, I, um, started out as, you know, the, the, uh, uh, I, I don't. I don't even fucking remember. I haven't played baseball or watched baseball in like twenty years. It's I'm actually really uh really salty at myself right now. But yeah, I would lead off and and all that.
1: Any favorite baseball players at that time? Deion
0: Sanders. Nice. He loved me some prime time, baby. Primetime was my even he's my favorite uh football player too. I love primetime.
1: How how incredible is that when we talk about athletes who are dual sport people to play pro baseball and to play pro football at the same time? I mean that is and Bo Jackson did it and there's some other people. I'm trying to remember. There's a guy on the Braves. Um, yeah, I'm it? not good. Brian with the... Jordan, maybe there was another guy who did it. But isn't that just literally insane it's, to be it... able to be that good?
0: Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders are the two dudes that were just mind blowing to me. It was just like I if any if you want to do anything or be anybody in the in this life, those are the two dudes the the pattern off of. Like Jesus. There's some yeah. awesome dudes. Awesome, yeah. fine athletes. Great no, I athletes.
1: Agree. I agree with you completely. So at what point did you end up crossing paths with HWA? How did uh, how that relationship start budding?
0: So um I started, you know, doing the local scene, or like I said, around here for about a year, because uh, that's when I started realizing that I had to be eighteen to actually do this and get into some bigger companies, you know, because there's like I, I I was doing like bar shows and shit. It was, it was insane. Uh, I ended up doing a show for Shark Boy. Yes. Uh, tried, or actually, I'm sorry. It was uh, Dean the Dream Jablonski. Jablons, yes,
1: I he, remember. It was
0: Tri W in uh, okay. Middletown. Uh, it was right before BPW, right before uh, Shark Boys, Buckeye Pro Wrestling. Yep. Uh, but um, uh, Tri W. Uh, I was, I ended up getting on that show, and Cody Hawk was uh on that show, and he just bought the company from uh Les Thatcher
1: Surfer. Yep,
0: yep. And he, come, he comes up, and after the match, he goes, Uh, hey, do you want to? We, we do these Tuesday night, uh, um, Tuesday night showcases. He, he you know, put it over, and said, Do you want to, you know, come, come wrestle? And I was like fuck yes i do
1: <laughs> it's
0: like two years i think it was a yeah it was a six six months prior to that i tried to get into hba but i was still in high school uh and they're were, they're were like uh, you should uh you know come through our training program like you have some decent fundamentals but like you still need to be trained properly Uh, And I was like, okay, cool. How much will that cost? And they were like, "Uh, $2,500. I was like, absolutely not. So I'm a poor kid still in high school from Dayton driving 45. I skipped school to do like a tryout in front of Les Thatcher. He told me the best thing that ever could have happened to me and this business is if my mother would have swallowed me.
1: Oh, whoa, whoa. That's uh, that's mighty intense.
0: Yeah, that's what that's, that's what he told a uh, 17 and a half year old still in high school. That's that's I was just like, oh, okay. So oh, I just, I, I, no joking worked, there, no joking. No, just no, he was he was hot, he was very, very salty that I was uh, in his ring. Like, it was, a, it was a bad time. So uh, uh, when when I finally got on that Tri-W show and Cody invited me to HWA, it was like, it was a huge win for me. Huge win because they didn't even recognize me, you know, like that year or six. It, was, it may have been a year. But uh, it was like a year to six months uh, that they were just, you know, telling me, you know, <laughs> that horrible, horrible thing. You know, so yeah, it's I've I've worked hard though. I take stuff like that, and I I just use it, and I work hard, extra extra hard. To, As motivation, you know, motivation, baby.
1: Wow, unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because I think in a lot of situations, if somebody heard something like that in whatever profession they're in, that could really demoralize somebody that really could say, you know what, man, this person's in this industry and they do not think that highly of me. But then you have other people like yourself who don't internalize that. And they say, you know what, screw that. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to show you that I'm worth it. And uh, obviously you've done it uh, for, for a long time now. So you've got to feel good that you got, you got the kudos at the end because guess what? I'm still here.
0: Well, absolutely. And, and it's also it, all the way from high school, like walking in with the uh, OCW light heavyweight championship around my shoulder, my, uh, I would have a teacher. His name was Mr. Huzik. Who's my math teacher. He, uh, he told me, uh, you know, uh, you should probably do some more realistic things and like play football. Versus, you know that wrestling stuff. You know, I know that's what you're into, but you should, you know, probably play football for the Tecumseh Arrows instead of doing what you're doing. I was like, oh, no, I think I'll, I think I'll continue to do this wrestling. You see this belt? You see these? You see these jewels? <laughs> see these jewels on here that I got to glue back on? You See that, Mister <laughs> Music? I'm living my dream. But yeah, I had, I've always had. Uh, uh, people always, always uh, count me out. So I'll just, I'll, they can continue to count me out. I can continue to prove them
1: wrong. You mentioned something, guys. It's just triggering memories here. Chet uh, Jablowski. Was there a guy, do you remember a Brock Guffman by any chance? He was a Absolute.
0: manager. I still talk to Willie. Okay,
1: yeah. let, me, let me tell you about this Brock. Okay. So I'm going to share a little bit of story really quick with you. So this was back in 2000. So I'm even older than you are. You look way better than I do. I, I mean, my parents should have never gotten together. Look, look, look what happened when they <laughs> g- wear a condom, guys. Wear a condom. Safe um, sex. Exactly. So in 2000, I got into wrestling. I started writing scripts for WWE. I would write full length on a word processor, That's and I awesome. would I would send them out weekly. Kevin Kelly called the house and wanted to know if I was a former wrestler looking for writing gigs and literally I'm in high school as well, just like you, but I'm in Cincinnati and long story short, I decided I want to get into wrestling. So I went down to HWA and they said, Hey, do you want to help promote pass flyers out? You know, all that kind of stuff. I said, sure. And I saw um, Brock Guffman and I thought he was so good at what he did. And I felt like, God, he's got this Bobby Heenan feel to him. And I don't know if I saw him on social media or something like that. And I hit him up and I said, man, it's been years since I've seen you, but I'm so happy that you're doing well because he has a talent and an ability to connect with an audience that you do not find in, in managers. So what was your relationship with, uh, with him?
0: He he actually managed me for a while wow. at, at HWA. It was great. I, I've, Actually, actually last time I was in Orlando, I was supposed to meet up with him, but uh, I, I think we both kind of forgot because he was at a con, uh, con, and uh, I was just I was there for Circle Six doing a show, and uh, I think actually it may have been around the same area too. It was really really close, but we we were supposed to uh, get together for lunch, but we ended up uh, not not uh, getting together. But I I still speak with him. Uh, still to this day, like he's one of my favorite people that I've ever met in this business. He's and and the knowledge, like he he's given me so much knowledge The psychology of this man's got. is just, his brain is just so, so amazing. And he's got a heart to match.
1: No, I I couldn't agree more. I, I had, I don't have anything but positive things to say about him and his professionalism and his drive for the business. Um, let me also ask you this question here. Did you ever come across Rapid Delivery Rory Fox? Did you ever cross paths with that guy?
0: We had
1: the paper a paper
0: Amazing <laughs> match at HWA. Yeah, yeah I, I've, I, um, uh, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but I, I spoke to him uh, recently, and as recent as like probably three or four years. Uh, so he seems like he's still kind of uh, going in the Texas scene. Uh, But uh, we we had a killer match. I remember there was uh, one show at HWA. He goes, hey, uh, I just want to see if I can keep up and do uh, the newer style. Can you actually call this match? And I was like a veteran coming up to a young kid like that, coming up at HWA. I was pinching myself because it was Rory Fox. I I remember – uh, seeing him on MTV, and then he used that as a gimmick, I think, for a while, right? This he did MTV superstar Rory Fox or something yeah, like that.
1: It was like MTV, of real life. I want to be yes. a pro wrestler, yeah yep,
0: something like that. I remember, I remember that for all that show too. It's so funny. What do you guys, what are you guys smoking back here, huh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow. It's, it's so crazy how, you know, you, you have never met one another, but you have these things that you, you kind of traveled certain similar roads and met certain people. And, uh, it seems like you've had fun all throughout your career. I mean, outside of championships and whatnot, would you say a big part of the wrestling business is man, making memories and trying to save money, but man, it seems like there's so much fun and memories that can be made.
0: Absolutely. And this was what I was just uh, speaking to my wife and uh, another person over the weekend because I'm, I'm actually just getting back from uh, Circle 6 from L.A. It was a brutal five-hour flight. That's, a, that's some crazy uh, flight. Like Anywhere in the country you fly to California, it's going to take you five hours. It sucks.
1: What, what airline were you on?
0: Uh, United. It was okay, great. Good. It was a great. Uh, it wasn't like one of those bullshit. You know? Yeah, it wasn't one of those. <laughs> one of those guys they actually take care of you, at Circle Six. It's great, you know. You know, like water and uh, food in the locker room for the boys. You know, that shit goes wow. a long way.
1: It does. So yeah,
0: I mean, uh, but anyways, uh, well, I'm I'm sorry, I was getting off uh, off topic there for a second. Uh, But yeah, I was just getting, I'm getting back from there and uh, it was, it was a freaking uh, crazy journey today, but um, yeah, I'm uh, ready to rock and roll.
1: So as your career has gone on, we've often talked about, you know, when you go through trainers and you as you go through the experience of in pro wrestling, you pick up things, right? And we talk to so many different people and, you know, what is the etiquette that you were taught? You know, some people say, shake every hand, introduce yourself. Some people have told us in interviews, shut your mouth, go sit in the corner, find a place, don't pester anybody, you know, um, ingratiate yourself in the locker room. So Jake, what is your advice to people? What would you say to a younger version of you, do you do all of the shaking the hands, the introduction, all that, or do you say, get your stuff, get your spot, sit down and be quiet?
0: Well, uh, it actually depends on which era of uh, history we're talking about. Because uh, back uh, when I started in uh, 2002, um, so 2002 jake version i would have told him hey go around shake everyone's hands introduce yourself do the right etiquette thing that you're taught now i would tell him stay the fuck away from everybody don't touch anybody's hands because you might get covid
1: (laughs) make sure you, you bring some purell with you as well
0: yeah um it's completely changed man um when I first started, you, you shook everyone's hand, you introduced, you know, yourself, especially, uh, to the promoter, you know, the guy you're working, um, uh, it was just, it was the etiquette. Um, and you're also thinking, um, th- the, reason behind the handshake is, you know, you're, you're thanking the star for the house you're thanking all the boys for the house that's, you know, going to come. And, and, and it's such a weird, odd, uh, thing that I, I think it should just be done away with because a lot of people don't understand why it was done for back in the day and now, you know, like I said, when when you got things like COVID floating around, like I don't wanna I don't wanna, you know, touch every single person's hand. Like I give a nice little ultimate warrior nod, like hey, how you guys doing type thing. Like and it's nothing disrespectful or anything like that. It's just, you know, like
1: I don't want to get sick. No, and I mean, this is your livelihood. I mean, you're an athlete. You cannot get sick. If you get yeah. sick, you don't work.
0: Yeah, like I used to, when when I uh, ran Rockstar, I would have a rule. Like, it was literally a rule. Uh, it was, I did six years of booking there, and I was like, just stop, like, coming up and shaking my hand. I'm going to be here next Wednesday, just like you. Like, I, everything's fine. Like, you don't have to shake my hand every single week. Like, we're going to have a meeting if you're one of the guys that, you know, get a story, I'm going to tell you what I want. And then if not, I just want you to go out there and have the best match that you could possibly have.
1: That was Does that it. make sense? You you don't seem like you're a micromanaged type of boss. You seem like, you know what, here's your expectations. This is what I want from you. Just go out and do it.
0: Yeah, if, if, they, if they get over, the crowd, you know, uh, enjoys and likes them, then they get to, you know, get to wrestle again the next week. If not, then, you know. It was like, hey, uh, let's get your shit together. You know, uh, if you don't start getting over, I have to not use you no more. I was one of those. I was, I was a stickler on that. Like, if if guys didn't get over and they fell out of uh, shape or anything like that, and I'd give them a certain time to try to get their shit together, and if they didn't, then I would move on to the next one because that's what wrestling is.
1: When it comes to getting over with an audience, um, is that something that is, is typically taught in training or is that something that you can only pick up, obviously, on the job training as far as nuances, where, interacting with the crowd and, and your personality and all that kind of stuff? What all, in your opinion, goes into somebody successfully being able to get over?
0: It, it all depends on that individual like cuz you know think about what people get over with you know it could be a silly gimmick it could be being really athletic it could well nowadays i think it's kind of getting a little uh little it's a little different uh, but back when i started you know uh, just big just to be big you would get on shows if you were you know 6 7 300 and you know 87 pounds and you're just fat and couldn't move, you'd still be able to get on shows. You know what I mean? Nowadays, you have to be athletic. When you got Brian Cage with muscle on top of muscle, on top of muscle, and he's working like he's, you know, 1997 WCW cruiserweights, like it's, it's, you know, it, it changes the game. Keith Lee doing, you know, drop down, you know, leapfrog, you know, uh, drop kicks or, you know, cross bodies and stuff. It looks amazing. So, I mean, like, uh, uh, I think the the days of just being big, just to be big for the sake of it is kind of dying. But uh, it wasn't the case when I started.
1: What would you say is the biggest thing that you've noticed that has changed since you first broke in versus now? When you look and you go, my God, I mean, it's night and day in this particular category.
0: Uh, Just being a shitbag and being a shitbag promoter. Um, Back in the day, if you're a shitbag promoter, people, and and still, it was still like this uh, uh, up up until uh, last week, I think it was, with, with Ian Rotten. Where, where you know, had to had to do what I had to do, which I'm sure we you want to talk about, which would be a great segue too. But that's uh, that's the biggest uh, difference is the shitbag promoters, the shitbag people, and literally getting the scum out. And uh, because back back when I started, and, and like I said, even with Ian, just up, up until a week, you know, it was, it was just like, Oh, it's just, it's just Ian. It's just IWA. Like it, that that's acceptable. I'm just supposed to, you know, say screw that money. Like, no, it's, it's, it's not, but uh, that's the biggest change that I've seen uh, from, uh, and, and that, and, and actually um, there's been so much lost in translation when it comes to training. Like a lot of guys don't, know how to bump properly hit the ropes properly lock up properly there's so many things it's just lost along the way and and that next generation is not going to be able to teach uh the next one after that it's it's actually you start to see it uh start to die a little bit it seems like
1: well, it's funny you mentioned that because that was going to be my next kind of segment here was, you know, I was talking to Whipwreck and, and Jerry Lynn and, and they were saying it seems like there's so many schools nowadays that just happen to pop up. You know, a guy has a, a year or two and he has some money and he has a ring and all of a sudden he thinks, you know, he's a savant and he can go ahead and train people. And unfortunately, it's, it's people who are not qualified to train people. Then you get more people in the industry who don't, don't know what they're doing and become unsafe potentially in the ring. And then it's the veterans who say, this is crap. This needs to stop. Do you still find in a lot of ways that if you're working with people, you shake your head and go, this should have been covered on day one. Like we're wasting time because you were not properly taught X, Y, and Z.
0: Yeah. there's there's ex- This wrestling down this last two years, two to three years during the pandemic, has been so challenging and so insane. Like it's, it's night and day from uh, where I was to the, the first independent show and the, the production value to the, to the talent. It was, it was, and it's, it's nobody's fault, you know, and it's, I'm not trying to say, you know, uh, anyone's better or whatever, but the fact is, is like, when, when you're not properly trained in the show and you're still running just shitty shows. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I picked up anything and everything to, to, to make money and uh, make ends meet during this pandemic. I wrestled in backyards, you know, the, I, I, I wrestled with so many different, uh, so many shitty, so many things, the shitty, shadiness has happened during these last two years. It's insane. Like with PayPal, with PayPal, like, uh, the pending charges like that you could do now—it's like a bouncing a check. It's it's insane. It's it's so crazy. Like, in, uh, I've had a first time in twenty years, a promoter actually left the show. And then, like, if it wasn't for me, I pulled a uh, I pulled I like I met his mom and I saw his his mom was still at the show, so I pulled her to the back and had her pay everybody before they went out to perform. That's oh the thing. God. Those are the things you don't hear. That's the crazy things.
1: That's the that's the real life of professional wrestling. That yeah, is... dude it
0: insane. Like I gave them the, I'm like, oh, hold this date, you know, for a month for me, you know. Then you then you get to the show and the guy just disappears. It's like, hmm, I need this money. I I just drove. It's it's seven hour round trip, you know. Just drove three and a half hours to get here like <laughs> i need mean, gas prices are crazy oh, they're
1: ridiculous do, do wrestlers get deposits when you do a booking like a, like a deposit as far as just to make sure that the, the promoter's Sometimes legit
0: it all depends like uh it, it all depends on who you are and like what you've done like you can like i've asked for deposits you know and i've uh now that the pandemic is uh, over like i think i'm going to start to ask for uh, more deposits except especially if uh, we haven't done business in the yeah, past sure so it was like uh if we've done business and i know you've done good business with me then yeah but like uh yeah p- deposits are great but in the in the pandemic ain't nobody giving no no deposits no. out like you had to work for you know double and triple of less than what you know my paydays were so it was literally going it was like being 18 years in at that time, literally going all the way back down to starting over. So it's like I'm back just like two years in wrestling, it seems like.
1: Was there ever a point in time, and I know a lot of wrestlers have said this before, but when you thought about, you know what, with the money, with the time, with the travel, with my body, um, I got to segue into do something different. Was there ever a moment when Jake Chris said, you know what, uh, we got to really start having a conversation here about something different?
0: No, because uh, the first fifteen years of my career, I had I was uh, I unloaded trucks at Wright State University, so like I literally had a nine to five working Monday through Friday, and then wrestling the crazy schedule that I wrestled. That's when I was doing Japan and Ring of Honor and all those like all those crazy. I was having a crazy ass schedule. It was like wrestling three to five days a week on top of working five days a week. Cause I, I had a, like my, my first, my oldest uh, daughter's 18. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, I had her coming out of high school. So it was like, I had to grow up uh, pretty quickly. And so I knew like, uh, I had to have some sort of uh, nest egg, you know, saved up uh, not only for my fight or my uh, future, but for hers as well.
1: Do you do the same thing? I notice a lot of wrestlers nowadays are are putting their information on uh, social media. As far as hey, I have open bookings and whatnot. You know, this oh, month yeah. and that.
0: Yeah, you have like uh like, again, you know, like it's like I started, you know, all over again. So it's like you know, you you kind of see what other other guys are doing. And I I uh, did that during the pandemic and filled all my dates you know, and if I, if I have cancellations, like, oh, I'll make a little graphic up r- real quick, you know, on my phone and be like, hey, cancellations suck, you know, please tag, you know, a promotion. Also Phil Stamper, he's like, he's amazing at what he does. He, uh, he puts uh, together a, uh, a uh, newsletter of like, everyone that's running the dates that they're running so you can literally and their information so you can literally click on their information they'll pop up like their facebook page and you can say hey got this date open what's up sal vandini want to (laughs) wrestle
1: warrior wrestling is really good that's actually a, a high school principal i believe
0: yeah man i've worked uh for i've worked for aaw and danny for like 15, 16 years.
1: Wow. Deathmatch wrestling. That has become very popular. And for, I never knew a whole lot about it. I'll be honest. And then I started watching a little bit of it. I think vice had a, uh, a special, and I want to say it was Casanova Valentine who actually did that. And he was talking about all the different aspects that go into it and the dangers. What do you think about, you know, uh CZW when they have the very, very death match. And then I want to say it's out in New Jersey. Is it out on a farm? Is it CZW where they have it out? Oh, dude. The yeah. Tournament of You're Death. You talk
0: about Tournament of Death. Holy yeah. crap. Um, What's your was thoughts a, on that? That was TOD, man. That was a thing like years ago. But man, like, uh, CZW really hasn't been a thing in like years, years, years. Like maybe six, seven, eight years. Like, uh, yeah, they, 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 they kind of, it kind of like uh, those guys were awesome. Uh, bust their ass, and I love
1: deathmatch wrestling. I do
0: deathmatch wrestling. Uh, well, and
1: that's uh, what kind of brought me to that. Like,
0: yeah, no holds
1: barred.
0: Uh, do some stuff for them. Uh, do some stuff for uh, RPW in Detroit, and does a little deathmatch stuff here and there. Uh, IWA have done I've uh, done some death matches for them, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, CZW just hasn't been a thing with death matches. I don't think from a long time. I think they're actually just now starting to kind of uh, uh, shake the cobwebs out uh, because they they were out and. Out for the count there for a while, so they're yeah. they're like using the ropes to pull themselves back up. It seems like I think they're doing like some studio shows here and there, but like, um, uh, CZ yeah, CZW's just kind of you know crap. But uh, uh, the all those other death matches, man, they're like ICW no holds bars, shit.
1: So how do, how does one when they've been wrestling? Uh, all of a sudden say, you know what, I'm going to go and do some deathmatch. The glass, the barbed wire. I mean, all that is legit, and there is inherent dangers because anything literally could happen. So take me through your thought process here. How did you decide you wanted to do deathmatches, and was there any scary moments you're like, ooh, we got out of that one, pretty lucky on that?
0: Uh, Any any deathmatch I'm in, I... That I walk out I uh, go ooh pretty lucky on that one Especially if they involve. Uh, Alright I was actually just talking with a couple uh, A couple of my colleagues about this Like what makes You know a death match a death match Like what weapons does it take And they're like oh glass And I'm like yeah, yeah okay Glass you know some people would say barbed wire, but I, I think I agree with them. Any type of glass, I think, you know, uh, uh, classifies it as a deathmatch. And any time that I wrestle with glass and I uh, get to leave with my life, I thank my lucky stars. Um, but as far as getting into death matches, I've always kind of been into that hardcore deathmatch uh, style. Um I'm I'm also a firm believer. Like it, as weird as this sounds, like I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lee, and you know I think what made Bruce Lee so great is he learned you know all of uh, the styles and he created his own, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do with uh, wrestling with uh, uh with with everything that I've learned the last twenty years. You know I could I could do anything and everywhere anything anywhere and everywhere. Like Costa Rica, I I can in Lucha Libre, I can do it. You know, uh, you want to have some crazy death matches in Germany? Let's have some crazy death matches in Germany. You know, you want to have some strong style, hard hitting, you know, type shit? Let's let's do it. I can do it all. You want to have some uh, pure wrestling? Let's go. That's literally the the mindset uh, behind all of this. Is just trying to develop my own style that I could do anywhere and everywhere in the world and adapt to any, anything Adapt to comes, people that don't even speak English.
1: Well, obviously a language barrier is a big thing too. Um, but let me ask you this uh, before we wrap up the, the death match stuff. Is there anybody who you feel like is amazing at death matches as far as man, I really would like to get a chance to work with them because I think they get it.
0: The, la- the, the two best deathmatch guys in the world, hands down, right now is John Wayne Murdoch and Alice Colon. There's no one else on this earth that could do deathmatches the way they can do them. And the, it's at the consistency of the level that they've done them for as long as they have is just mind-blowing to me. But those two guys, uh, I've I've had matches and death matches with both those guys, and I would I would do it any day of the week. Wow!
1: Let me ask you, uh, fun car ride stories this is always something we we like to talk about. Any crazy stuff, and just to give you an idea, we we talked to somebody who was traveling from United States to Canada, and they saw a bear on the side of the road, and uh, they were partying a little bit in the in the back, and they were taking a pickup truck, and they thought it was dead. So they grabbed the bear, and they threw it in the back of the pickup truck. Well, the bear wasn't exactly dead, uh, and so things got a little crazy. But uh, any interesting stories, whether it was at restaurants, at road stops, anything that was just like, holy crap, How? if I hadn't been there, I would not believe it.
0: Yeah, just uh, literally a year ago on the 19th, uh, was was one year anniversary. Me, my buddy Bobby, my right hand man. Uh, he he goes on the road with me anywhere and everywhere now. And uh, this this older gentleman named uh, David Ashburn. Uh, we were traveling home from South Carolina. I was wrestling for PWX. We just got to uh, North Carolina border, and as soon as we passed into the North Carolina. Uh, I see this blue pickup truck, this extended cab. Um, and he had, he was a headlong collision uh, with, uh, with this pillar. Oh my God. So uh, as we're, everyone's, you know, rubber and they're slowing down and it starts to catch on fire. So I tell Dave to pull over. It's like Ashburn bullet, pull over, pull over, pull over. Like he starts to pull over I run about three to 400 yards uh, to this. At this time, it's this truck's engulfed in flames. Uh, this lady's out and she's screaming, he's in there, he's in there, he's in there. Uh, so I open up the door that she was screaming at. Uh, there was nobody in there. So I, I go to the, the uh, driver's side and I see a pair of feet staring at, my, staring at me. So I grab him by his ankles and I pull him out of this uh burning truck and me and and by that time my buddy Bobby and Dave's there and uh Dave helps me pull him up uh the uh the hill about uh, 40 or 50 yards and that's when the uh tire started popping I literally thought that uh the uh the car was going to explode. I thought it was like going to be some like Terminator 2 shit whereas
1: like, oh my god,
0: crazy shit and uh ambulance police officer came uh, rushed him off to the hospital uh found out eight months later that he ended up surviving wow. so that was really awesome and uh yeah, yeah that was that was the craziest uh, road trip story if i wasn't there i don't know what would happened. story
1: makes you it makes you wonder you're at a certain place at a certain time for a reason
0: for sure i was uh it's definitely uh, it was I don't know like I was my fight flight was on and I was definitely fighting because like, I saw there was probably like a hundred or so cars just driving by watching watching this guy literally burn alive in his in his truck. Uh, there was four or five uh, people on top of the hill that I actually pulled him up onto, just staring there as I was as I ran up to the truck. So I mean it was. That was some pretty crazy, crazy stuff. Wow. Uh,
1: you have definitely lived an exciting life, my friend. I mean, so many things, and you followed your dreams, and here you are today, having some great memories and great stories. Um, I know our time is 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 winding down here. but let me ask you this, so far up to today. Favorite memory of a favorite match so far in your career so far that you feel stands out more than anything else that that's your that's your pinnacle moment right there that you feel like man if I could get back to that point
0: winning the X division championship against Rich Swan Rich Swan's one of my best friends in this, in this phenomenally world. talented and I'm just that moment in Canada us rocking the house the way we rocked it. It was just it was so great. And you talk about eating the the crowd eating of the palm of your hand, That's the mass that the crowd was eating out of the palm of our hands. And it was if I could go back and relive any moment, that's the moment I relive.
1: Wow, it's exciting. Um, so many things that you've done, like I said before, I would love more than anything else. If uh, if your schedule ever permits it to do a part two, because I have so many things I would love to get into and pick your brain and get your advice, your expertise on some things. But let me go ahead. I'm going to throw to you. It is plug. Omania is what we like to call it. Like Merchandise, that. social media, upcoming dates, all that kind of stuff. And we will make sure after this interview is uh, is airing, we can go ahead and continue to make sure that we post that so people know where to find you, where to get merch and where your upcoming events are.
0: Well, uh, hit me up on my socials, uh, Instagram and Twitter's the same at the Jake Christ. Facebook, you know, just Jake Christ. Uh, but, um, I have some merch dropping soon. I'll have some, uh, t-shirts. I'm going to get some eight by tens of the burning belts. Cause I've I've uh, been hit up uh, a, a bunch about the IWA burning belt. So that I'm video
1: gonna, was uh sweet. I'm not going to lie I, to you. That was, I
0: appreciate that. That was, that was literally, literally, and we could talk about this on part two, if you want, but that was literally for the, uh, the people that's ever been screwed over. Not only me, I mean, it took me getting screwed over to do this. I'm glad I was the one that had the balls to stand up and get this piece of shit out. But We'll talk about that next time.
1: I was just about to say, you know what? The one thing that you probably knew this as well, uh, Jerry always says, you know what? If there's a table spot, tease it. Tease it. Don't give there it to them. There you go. You know there why? You Make them come back again.
0: There you go. But let's uh, let's get some 8 by 10s and some uh, t-shirts. Hit me up on my socials.
1: Very good. Awesome. Jake, you are a professional. You're definitely a legend. And it's somebody that I have enjoyed having this conversation with. We do a little bit different type of conversations than your typical podcast interviews, but you know what? It is so neat to hear where you were, where you are today and all the amazing moments that have happened in between. And we know this is just the beginning and great things are going to be happening for the rest of 2022.
0: I appreciate that so much. Thank you. and, and, and this, this was amazing. Anytime, anytime you want to do part two, just hit me up.
1: Sounds like a plan, man. Talk to you soon. You take care of yourself. All right. Peace guys. That's Jake Crist. I talk about just fun. See, this is the thing here. You can talk about so many different things when it comes to wrestling championships. You can talk about matches. You can talk about everything, but you know, what's really fun to me is finding out the personal side of people. You know, the fact that he was a backyard guy, the fact that in high school, you know, in shop class, they were figuring out blueprints, how to make their own ring. The fact that he was training at 15 in a barn. You know, just all of this stuff, getting to know his thoughts on etiquette in, as far as wrestling is concerned. Booking, how to get over, talking to people about that kind of thing. Uh, coming up in part two, we're definitely going to go into the whole IWA Mid-South thing. We're also going to talk about ring gears. Where, well, we're going to talk about so many different things, but nothing but love to Jake Christ as he has been paving a way in pro wrestling for so many people for so many years, especially here in the Midwest and new Carlisle guy to Cincinnati guy, nothing but love and uh, continue to support Jay Christ guys. That is going to do it. We ran long today, but it has been so much fun. Once again, thank you so much for supporting the front room material brand and our daily podcast, which is called headlines. It's your one-stop shop to find out everything that's going on in the world of professional wrestling. So you can get back to your day. They are both available anywhere Fine podcasts are made available for everybody here at the front row material brand my name is mike freeland i will catch you next time the world of MLTV radio never stops